we're looking at Luke chapter 9, and just those verses that Simon read to us, verses 51 to 62. If you've kind of come into this for the first time, we're on a journey, and it's a bumpy ride because Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem where they're going to kill him. So that's why I say it's a bumpy ride. He's going to get rejected. And you'd expect that his close friends were the people who'd want to kind of comfort and help him. But what he discovers is that his close friends, the home team, are getting it wrong again and again. You see that there are the disciples. And in verse 41, uh, you see that they are actually described as unbelievers. Jesus talks to his disciples and he says, you unbelieving and perverse generation. Then in verse 46, you see that they're proud. They're arguing amongst themselves which one's the greatest. And now in our little story, at the end of uh, that little chapter, uh, he talks about people who are not fit for the kingdom of God. I know it says here, not fit for the service in the kingdom of God, but actually what Jesus is saying is, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Disciples. And they're getting it wrong. And what you're finding out is actually, yes, Jesus is going to get rejected in Jerusalem, but actually he's getting rejected by the disciples. And the would-be disciples who think they're like good disciples, but actually they're getting it wrong here as well. In a sense, they are rejecting Jesus by not making his reactions to the situations that they're in. And it starts off with the Samaritans. You can see that Jesus has set his face to uh, go to Jerusalem. In verse 51, Jesus resolutely set out, actually saying he set his face. He's that determined. And take that personally, because Jesus is showing that determination in his face to rescue you and me. And he set his face to go to Jerusalem, yes, to die on a cross, but you can see that he's setting his face at the time for him to be taken to heaven. So he's got heaven in his mind, but he knows that on the way to heaven, he's walking towards a cross. So I suppose you could look at it like this. There's Jesus. He's got heaven on his mind, but the road is leading up to a cross. And on the way, they get to a Samaritan village. And Jesus is hoping to stay there, but they don't want him. Can you see that? In verse 52, they went, sent messengers to go into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him. Now, it's easy to think that that happened because Jews and Samaritans had this thing going, or rather this thing not going, because they didn't like each other very much. And you might think that they didn't like Jesus because he was a Jew. But actually, other bits of the Bible show us that Jesus really got on quite well with Samaritans. In fact, in the next chapter, chapter 10, he tells a story about a good Samaritan. In chapter 17, you'll see him saying complimentary things about Samaritans. So actually, Jesus had a good relationship. When he sends messages, I guess he's expecting them to say, brilliant, come. 
But they don't say come because they are being petty. Essentially, because not because he's a Jew, but because he's going to Jerusalem. It's like a kid's playground. I won't be your friend because you happen to be their friend. And if you're going there, then you can't stay here. Now, Jesus is getting rejected before he gets to Jerusalem, but it's interesting that he's not angry with the Samaritans. He gets angry with the disciples. Peter and, uh, sorry, James and John want fire to come and gobble up the Samaritan villages. And you might think they have a point. After all, if you reject someone as important as Jesus, you would expect God to get cross about it. So they're getting cross about it. And you might think that actually it happened before. There were messengers that God sent to two cities called Sodom and Gomorrah, and when they insulted those messengers, actually fire did come down and Sodom and Gomorrah got burnt. And so you can imagine that James and John said, well, maybe the same thing ought to happen again. And Jesus actually doesn't get cross with Samaritans. He gets cross with them. He rebukes them. Can you see that in verse 55? Because actually, if that happened and the Samaritans were destroyed, it would make his whole journey pointless. Yes, God would judge people who reject him in the end, that's true, but that's God's business. <coughs> the first thing on Jesus' mind is to save people and not to destroy them. In fact, actually, if God was to destroy the Samaritan village, he would certainly destroy Jerusalem because Jerusalem was not going to refuse a bed for the night. Jerusalem was going to actually kill his son. If fire was going to fall down on the spot, then it might have happened there. But Jesus is not going to destroy. He is going to save. And I think that is really, really important for one of the kind of modern, relevant discussions that people have today about whether, if you disagree with someone on a matter of religion, then you should essentially punish them for disagreeing with you. Jesus rebukes that. It's the last thing that should be done. If only the Christian church understood that that is not the way to handle disagreement. We'd never have had the Crusades in the Middle Ages when they went out and they started killing Muslims. And we'd never have had the Spanish Inquisition where people went and hurt other people because they disagreed with them about God. If only, I mean, it's a good thing that by and large there are really only those two times when Christians went and hurt other people who disagreed with them. But it would be a good thing, wouldn't it, today if people understood that actually when a person disagrees with you, you don't go and call down punishment on them. Christians never had that option if they're following Jesus. 
we can reason, we can persuade, we can show a better way. But we never do anything but the very best for the people who disagree with us. Otherwise, essentially we are claiming to be disciples of Jesus, but are the opposite of what he is like. So I've uh, put it like this, that actually when you get cross, you deny the cross if you can remember it in that kind of way. When we get cross, we deny the cross. But then there are these would-be followers, the disciples of Jesus, and they get it wrong in different ways. And you see their little uh, story in verses 57 to the end. As they're walking on the road, a man said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, well, foxes of dens, birds of nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So I suppose really what they didn't realize is that following Jesus meant discomfort. You see, in all three of these cases, the reason why they're getting it wrong is because they want a discipleship that is different to the cross. They want a discipleship that kind of fits in. They're willing to follow, but it's got to fit in with what uh, they accept, what they find reasonable. Whereas Jesus is talking about going to the cross. And so they get it wrong because they haven't got the cross in their minds properly as they want to follow Jesus. The first person certainly hasn't. Now, look. Let's give him his due. He's a good bloke. He's volunteering to follow Jesus, right? Jesus is not forcing him. He's putting himself forward. And he's certainly willing to change. He's willing to go anywhere. He's willing, in other words, to change his location. As long as you give him a bed for the night. And Jesus says, that's not going to happen. Not if you're following someone who's got nowhere to lay his head. Now Jesus isn't saying that proper Christianity means you've got to be homeless. He's not saying that. But what he's saying is look, there's a choice. It's possible to be a Christian to do it if you like the way the world would see it's okay. And so therefore it's possible isn't it, to be a Christian to say actually, yep, uh, but I'll do it in a way that is reasonable. So I'll have proper working conditions. I'll have proper working hours. I'll do everything that kind of uh, ticks the boxes that would make it an okay kind of job from a world point of view. But I won't put myself into any position where it's going to be uncomfortable for me to follow Jesus. And when we start going down that road and start choosing those options, well, we're not really going to be disciples. And Jesus points that out. Don't look at the world's model if you're going to follow Jesus. Look at the cross. Second uh, reason why they uh, uh, turned away is what I put down here is delay. The second person says, 
I'll follow you, but let me first go and bury my father. Now that's interesting, you see, because in those days, like in most hot countries today, if someone dies, you bury them pretty much immediately. So the fact that this guy is talking to Jesus and not burying his dad there and then shows that probably his dad yet hadn't died, maybe nearing death, and so what this guy wants to do is to go and wait until the end had come and the proper formalities had been completed and then he will go and follow Jesus. Let's delay it until that time and all those different things have been done. But what I call deferred discipleship isn't really going to fit in with the cross either. So easy, isn't it, for us? I'm very tempted to say, well, we can't really get on with kind of doing Christian things in the Beckentry estate because our house isn't properly in order. Get that done first, then we'll come out and start doing what we're meant to be doing. Other people say, well, I'll come out and get involved after the football season is over, after exams have finished, after this particular spell of overtime comes to an end, whatever it is. We can say, we'll get involved, but we'll do this thing first. And it is interesting how Jesus puts it in, the, uh, in verse 60. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. In other words, look, there are going to be people for whom these priorities are important. Uh, they can play their game that way. They can live that way if they want. But for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's your first priority. It's very interesting, isn't it? We think that proclaiming the kingdom of God is there for the kind of key disciples, these special chosen ones, the twelve, the professionals. But Jesus is talking to an ordinary person who wants to be his disciple, says, look, you're going to be in the job of proclaiming the kingdom of God. That's your priority. Don't let anything come in front of that. Don't delay. And then thirdly, that is what I call this distraction. I'll, verse 61, follow you, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Now it kind of seems in that that Jesus is being anti-family when he says no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. But it's not like that. When Elijah wanted his little prodigy, uh, uh, Elisha, to follow him, Elisha said, Look, let me go and kiss and hug my mum and dad goodbye first. And Elijah let him. So that's not the problem. The problem is that actually if disciples are going to the cross and following Jesus down that road, then our family who love us very much are likely to sound a note of caution. So, for example, I knew my dad really loved me very much when I was there doing my job as a merchant banker and I was going to apply to be a vicar in the Church of England and my dad wrote me a very nice letter saying, Mike, don't do it. You are in a very good job. You will look after Debbie and the children really well. Why don't you do the church bit on the side? Now, I knew that he loved me very much. That's what he was saying to me. But what he was really saying to me is, Mike, not the cross. 
It was very interesting that when I was thinking of coming to Dagenham, we used to live in Leyland. Leyland wasn't such a great five-star place either, but my... Uh, so we, we lived in Kendall, that's right, and we were going to live in a place called Leyland, which was a bit more rough than Kendall, which is where we were in the Lake District, a beautiful place. And my parents, who lived in London, uh, they found the journey quite long, so they didn't even try it. Uh, they caught a plane to Manchester Airport. We picked them up. On the way back, they were going from Kendall, where we lived, and they took the train to Manchester Airport. The train passed through Leyland. When the train got to Leyland, my dad opened the door and he said, my son's coming to live here. Let me go and have a look. Now, I'll tell you, you don't get a good view of any place from a railway station. <laughs> and he looked outside and he saw the railway station. He saw it was a dump. And so he sat on his train. He wrote the second letter, Mike, do not do it. <laughs> you see, when families love you, they don't want you to take up the cross. It is a distraction to go back to the family because they will try and talk you out of it. And Jesus says, no, no person, when they put their hand on the plow, is going to look back and look somewhere else. And so therefore, what real discipleship is like is very simply taking out the red lines and just looking at the cross. That's the way I want to be a disciple. Now, it may be that if you're someone who's new and you're wondering how this squares up with what we think, well, let me say, actually, it is easy to be attracted to Christianity. You won't find any better friends, I don't think, anywhere else. You won't people find people who will care for you so much they will be like brothers and sisters to you. It is certainly really attractive to follow Jesus. No denying that at all. But the fact is that if we are going to follow him, we will have to get on a road where we will face discomfort, where we won't be able to put things off and delay, and where even our closest friends will tell us not to get too serious. Yes, we are on a road to heaven, but the road to heaven leads through a cross. And if we are going to start that journey, we need to be clued up about what that journey is going to be like. It will be, as I said at the start, a bumpy ride. Or it may be that you're someone who's used to church and you've knocked around church circles for a bit and you're kind of thinking, well, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I've gone to church all my life. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? To see that some kinds of discipleship can actually be Jesus rejecting because they've not really got anything to do with the cross and following him where there's discomfort, where we don't delay and where other people might say, careful. It's so easy for us to tick the box and say, yep, I'm a disciple, I'm a Christian. But a very wise man called uh, Bishop Ra 
said uh, people need to leave this passage and to uh, leave this passage with a searching of your heart as to whether you really are one or not. Or it may be that you're someone who really does want to follow Jesus and you want to do it as he did. In which case it is really important, isn't it, for us to say, right, okay, this is what the journey is going to be like. It's going to be a journey that is going to lead to the cross. It's going to be hard. Uh, there will be discomfort. There will be other things that we're going to be doing just even for a temporary basis before we get down to business. We start as we mean to go on. And it may be that there are some people who say, that's asking too much. Look, it's a lovely road. It does lead, in the end, to heaven. But it is going to be like Jesus. And he went to a cross. His disciples will have cross-shaped lives as well. It's well for us to know that. But better still, for us to want that if we're going to be his disciples the way that he lived. Now, I'm going to stop there because uh, uh, what we normally do is to... Um,